Welcome to the Black Voice. It's time to get real. We are here to motivate and promote positive change for black culture. And this is a show featuring you. Call into the show 24-7 at anchor.fm slash blackvoicej. From there, hit message and you can be heard on future episodes. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe and rate on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be sure you don't miss any future episodes. This is the Black Voice with Jay Clark. Y'all stay tuned. Back to the Black Voice, Jay Clark here, and we have a very special episode for you guys this week. Today we're going to dive into the ONU saga drama. It ain't nothing crazy, man, but ONU, the school I attended for college, put out a word that they were pro-social justice, pro-black, pro, you know, this and that, and it's simply something that I don't agree aligns with, you know, who they are. So today I had... A couple guys join me from my college, Jerry and Sonny, and we're just going to tackle these issues together, man. I hope you guys enjoy it. Don't forget to hit us, anchor.fm slash blackvoicej, for any comments that you would like to drop on the show and be featured on future episodes. You can also email us at blackvoicej at gmail.com or DM us, inbox us on any of the platforms that you follow us on, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I you do it. And to help us get a grasp of the reasoning behind having such a conversation as this is an article out of Georgia State University Library titled Budget for Success, Comparing Finances Between HBCUs and PWIs. Um, this is by Elliot and Kellison, if you guys want to look that up. But this article basically goes over some of the details behind the revenue gap, um, the income gap between HBCUs and PWIs. And just looking at this breakdown, um, there's a graph in here that highlights athletic aid, recruiting expenses, operating expenses, total expenses, and then of course revenue, as well as head coach salary, which I think is really interesting. And the way it's broken up is it's separated by HBCUs and PWIs, then by D1 HBCUs and PWIs, followed by D2 HBUs and PWIs, and then there's a separate subcategory, which HBCUs and PWIs with no football, which is actually a, a pretty big deal. Um, football is the most profitable sport, the most expensive sport as well um, for any college, school, entity, anything like that. So there is also a separate category for D1 with no football. But guys, looking at this graph, it's consistent across the board. PWIs pretty much have twice as much money, twice as much revenue, twice as much resources as our HBCUs. And I have great issue with that. All the way down to the head coach's salary. I mean, overall in D1 and D2 and any type of athletic, I mean, in D1 with no football, the head coach salary is triple. 
the head coach's allotted salary is triple what the HBCU is for the PWI. And that's that's one of the more alarming figures. And overall revenue in PWI versus HBCU, on average, we're talking about $14 million for PWIs, while HBCUs are bringing in $6 million. Head coach salary for PWIs overall, we're talking about $1.2 million in head coach salaries for the athletic programs. HBCUs are standing at a measly $550,000. $550, so near $1.2 million compared to $550,000 in total head coach salaries for a given university. And it's not just the big schools. Even the Division Two, it's it's pretty consistent across the board that in any of these subcategories, athletic aid, recruiting expenses, recruiting expenses is near, it's close to triple in in every single category. Overall, it's 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 close to quadruple the amount of money that an individual school spends on recruiting for athletics. HBCUs check in at about seventy thousand dollars on average a year per university while PWIs check in at $220,000 per year. That's a near five-time swing. And in D1 with no football, I mean, we're talking about $280,000 to the PWIs on average, while HBCUs are at $82,000. Now, it's clear that the money discrepancy between HBCUs and PWIs is very drastic, you know, (laughs) It's clear it's, it's something that we need to address. I mean, funding is over double, triple, quadruple, almost five times in certain categories. And we're talking about the athletic department specifically. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about athletic aid. We're talking about recruiting. We're talking about coaches' salary. We're talking about revenue. There is no way in the world that a PWI should be slaughtering an HBCU on average, this is the entire country, and we know the landscapes of colleges today. I understand that Ohio State is going to bring in more money than Howard. I understand that, hell, Duke is going to bring in more money than Howard. I understand that Texas A&M is going to bring in more money than Texas State. I understand these things, but it shouldn't be that way. Why is it that way? Why is it that HBCUs are the little brother to PWIs? They're not even the little brother. They're the delinquent. <laughs> They're the delinquent cousin of PWIs. Like these, these guys get no respect. And if you look across the athletic programs at PWIs, who the hell is scoring all the touchdowns? Who are scoring? Who's scoring all the points? Like there, there's no secret to this, guys. It's it's sad that we have to even address this. Like. So yes, I will. I think this HBCU issue is huge, and it's something I will continue to push because it's something that affects the youth, and the youth affects the future. So we can start this conversation now. Thirty years from now, we it's going to be a completely different landscape for higher education. It's going to be a completely different landscape for these numbers we just talked about. And it sounds very shallow, but I really do think it starts with athletics. When you start getting top athletes going back to these schools, coming back home, you will see a change because that's going to make kids want to go to those schools. 
and attend those schools with those great athletes. It's going to make the, the campus life that much better. It's going to bring in TV revenue. It's going to give these kids exposure. And from giving the kids exposure, the coaches will get exposure. The administrators will get exposure. The recruiters will get exposure. And collectively, that will bring change and upward movement to the black culture as a whole. So kick back, guys. Listen to this interview. You know, we we dive into some, some deep issues that lie within the PWIs in our particular particular homeschool of ONU. And throughout this conversation, realize we are not here to tear anyone down. We are not here to expose. We're just here to reveal the truth. And we're here to have the real conversation that often does not happen. Are we really welcome? Do we really belong? These are the questions that we will attempt to answer here today. Keep it locked right here. Next, we will have our feature interview with Mr. Sonny and Mr. Jerry, representing ONU. Y'all stay tuned. This is The Black Voice. back to the Black Voice. Appreciate you guys joining me today. Today, um, I am joined by a couple of my buddies from school, Sonny and Jerry. Um, met these guys at ONU when we attended college together. Um, different reasons, different walks of life, but we all met there and it's brought us here today. Um, so Sonny, Sonny, Jerry, appreciate you guys joining us. Yo, yo. Appreciate you having me on. No doubt. No doubt. So the reason we're here today um, that old school we went to, ONU, they actually made a post on Twitter um, throughout all this, the controversy with social justice. And this is one of the companies, entities, organizations that I personally highlighted as, you know, speaking to, speaking to these issues opportunistically, I believe. ONU made a tweet, um, basically the caption we're wholeheartedly committed to praying, listening, learning, and changing. And the picture says, ONU stands against racism and injustice. And this is a school that, in a nutshell, I would say that these statements are untrue. And one of the biggest statements that they go by to get students in is, we believe you belong. You know, I want to kick off this conversation and just ask the guys, how do you feel about that statement? We believe you belong here in hindsight um, after the recent events. Yeah, I would I would say that I agree with you a, a lot in that kind of analysis because, at least from my perspective, a lot of the and it's not only O and U, but I believe that they kind of they have they kind of represent a lot of this is that the social justice quote unquote that I sense we are experiencing today is largely performative, um, and I think that trickles up and you have institutions who may not have, whether it's the representation, the policies in place, the actual energy behind um, creating lasting change, they, they hop on bandwagons because it's seen as whether it's expected or whether it's 
public relations type of thing. Like, I just sense that the the real energy behind it isn't to create that inclusive environment like they say they're trying to. And so when I hear we believe you belong here, um, coming in, obviously, that felt like an accepting thing. But Felt, felt great. <laughs> Word. Jerry, what you think about that, brother, man? Somebody um, tell you, oh, and you, we believe you belong here in, in hindsight. I would just look at the population itself that they get mm-hmm. the acceptance numbers. They get us to come. They get POC, people of color students to come. And then they set up policy that is indiscriminately, disproportionately um, enforced upon people of color where, where black students are being oftenly searched, oftenly stopped, oftenly questioned. Um, even RAs have, I've had a recent conversation with an with a, uh, alum, a residential uh, advisor, where he said he spoke to um, a moment of that they just randomly stopped a black student and who fit the description. And it's like, you are, you are constantly questioned because of your color or, or enforced because of the, the, the outfit regiment of a skirt. Black women are constantly checked for their curves, um, for wearing yoga pants, but a, a, a white woman will easily be able to get by with wearing the same clothes or the fact that literally like it, we want an inclusive environment but they do nothing to include us where the only few POC students I remember seeing every single day in the dining hall sitting like together, but alone in the far left corner. And it's like, you'd think that the administration that attends the dining hall would notice this trend or would do something to combat this trend, to include more individuals or to make it feel like we belong. Yes, it was mm. their choice to sit there alone, but it was because of the climate that they felt they needed to sit in the left back corner by themselves. And when Jerry say POC, y'all, he's talking about people of color. You know, we PWI, POC, HBCU, there's going to be a lot of little acronyms today. But let me uh, let me tell y'all my story, my my starting this case with Olivet. So I'm a freshman, man, walking in 17, 18 years old. The first instance I had after football practice, me and my boys in the shower singing, rapping, whatever we're doing. We come out of the shower. I mean, as soon as we step out of the shower, our RA has four write-up slips for cursing, $50 a piece. This is my intro. This is my first week on campus. After this, we go downtown, you know, we get the bye week. We go downtown in the city. We see a RD from another another dining hall, another residential hall, Nesbitt it was, had a conversation with the guy, chopped it up with him, went on about our business, you know, normal, normal Chicago run-in, you know, on you meet up type of thing. Mm-hmm. We get back to campus on Monday after the weekend. This RD tells my RD that he saw me smoking cigarettes in Chicago. Really? Now, to this day, I've never, ever touched a cigarette in my natural. I've never touched a cigarette in my life, bro. Wow. So this RD tells my RD this. This leads to the first room search that I had at Olivet. These guys come in, and I want to name them because he DM'd me after we posted all this stuff on Facebook. I don't want to name them, though. 
But this guy comes in my room, my RD, searches my room, along my roommates, destroys my room, takes stuff out of my closet, covers, you know, blankets on the floor, clothes on the floor, bags dumped out. You know, this is this is six months into Olivet. So early on, my, my distaste was, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't feeling it, man, early on. And these, these are things that, and this is the only, the only reason I'm speaking on this is because I have the platform too. Right. There's probably thousands of instances like this that's happened at Olivet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it is right. very unfortunate. That's so facts, it, man. That makes me think of literally like, I remember being in front of an RA where I called out another student who was in Nesbitt at the time. This was freshman year where he had a Confederate flag and the Confederacy fought to keep slaves. It's not at all an inclusive banner that makes anyone who, of, uh, who are of color feel welcomed into a living environment that we all have to share. And mm -hmm. I said, I, I told the RA, I was like, hey, like right in front of the student, like, hey, he has a Confederate flag. Like, is that allowed? And then the guy got defensive. The RA, the person who's supposed to represent, one, the facility, the, 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 the residential space that we're sharing, and the university says, Oh, no, that's heritage. And he got really defensive and, like, angry and kind of, like, tart towards me. And it's like... Wow. Like, that's nice. And then, like, a couple months later, I had to take down a Bob Marley poster. And it's like, how can we <laughs> hold a standard where we want to control the environment, but we cannot control a, 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 a an actual flag that has represented the enslavement of black people that's nice man it almost over you is just such a it's a mirror image of america man if my sis said a while ago uh that owen you loves you know loves black culture but can't stand black people like that's that's america in a nutshell man with sunny what you what you got to add man i was gonna agree with you um i think that that's there's this um disunion between the words and the actions. And I think that there are some good people that work there. In fact, I know some of them. And there are some, you know, good sentiment that people want to do the right thing, but, and that there's this, it's like divorced from the will to actually follow through on creating that, that culture. Because to create a culture that's inclusive is more than a catchphrase. It requires real work and it requires real, uh, collaboration to make that happen. And I just don't see that effort being made. Um, one story I had was from, I was a, I, I took classes in communications and one of the classes I had to take was a literature class. And we were studying all these, these white authors and it was like, I was fine. Like, but these are the same people that you would hear of in most lit classes, you know, you got your Ralph Waldo Emerson's and your Walt Whitman's and that's great. But I was asking the professor after class one day if we would ever look into some African-American or Francophone or different other heritage in their writings. And it didn't even have to be from Africa. It could be American Black writers, too, like James Baldwin. And she just kind of snickered at that. And I remember she didn't give me a serious answer. She just kind of snickered and said, no, nah, no, we wouldn't do that. But the the <laughs> I don't know if it's the audacity or just the the flippancy, like it was just like so, like she just didn't even consider it at all. And that just kind of gave me a sense into what 
a lot of the underlying feelings are like they can say the right things, but at the end of the day, their heart posture and their actions communicate something else entirely. And everyone can pick up on that. It's like, it's like almost that they don't really take it seriously. I remember a lot of people who, when I, I posted my own post with uh, collecting uh, POC voices, telling their experiences of all of that. And, um, a couple people were like, oh, why didn't you like make some steps towards voicing it while at the university? And like mm-hmm. we did, there were several like people that came together to make um, literally like board meetings where students of color all attended and then were to share their experiences of being POC yeah, and also yeah. being POC at all of at all of that. And the thing was, is that like very few staff from Olivet attended. Yeah, I had like specific really good teachers that I've had, which were recruited to come. But um, we reached out to um, the Olivet admin and and wouldn't even be allowed at a table during the during those uh, like public events where they would have those groups be, you know, showed off. Um, They wouldn't like if a lot of people who saw those or knew that those things were coming didn't understand it fully because they weren't represented fully. We didn't have the opportunity to speak in chapel or to uh, take a moment on the the dashboard to say, oh, like white people, all people are welcome to these events. So we ended up just literally preaching to a choir of just other black people, black students who already know the experience of being black at this university Mm. that that it just makes me think of i don't know if this is indicative of a bigger problem but it seems like the people who understand what the problem is are continually talking to each other and Mm. the people that need to understand the problem tend to i don't know whether it's intentionally or subconsciously but they kind of scurry out or tiptoe out of these conversations and they don't actually do the learning that they need to do in order to create that space you would think that like even our allies at the university my own my own close friends would would refuse to attend those meetings would refuse to have conversations sometimes where it was like why is everything about race why is everything about your color or why is everything a racial issue and it's like Privilege is that you can not acknowledge these things because it doesn't affect you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's why I think we have to start to understand that one, like our, our, our liberty, our freedoms, our, our ability to be human and to, to interact. It, it, we have to start at the lowest common denominator and work our way up. Like our, um, our freedom is tied together. Like once you like, don't come to say, I want to fight for black lives because I want to help you. Like we don't need a savior, but if you want to be an ally because you see and you understand that you also as a white person or whatever heritage you come from, you understand that in order for me to, to, to live freely and fully, I have to be in the society that also values these people's lives. And I think that that's just kind of like a given, like, it shouldn't be a. It shouldn't. This shouldn't be something where we have to fight or compete or to, to somehow say that we need 
this, that, and the other. Like it should be an overflow of just trying to create that space that people actually feel they belong. And from there, you know, people make mistakes. Like I don't have an issue with people making honest mistakes, especially if they're moving in the right direction. But what I sense, especially from ONU, is that there has been no real effort. And if there's no effort, then there's definitely not going to be any progress because they're just pretending the problem doesn't exist and they're just trying to paper over it with a with a nice statement, with a like a, I don't know, a few words that don't really seem to ring full. And, it, and sometimes the intentionality or the fact that like even that their effort is not, it's it's almost even based on ignorance where like any any like Black History Month movement was not black centered or even just like you would think that they would have some representation within like hey why don't we include some black students to have <laughs> thoughts upon what we should do or how about we include some black staff oh we don't have black staff at uni- at the university of, at Olivet University um, and it's like yeah. you would think that they would have the understanding that a like we don't want fried chicken um, bro, the, I was just about to admit every every dog. year when bro, I got uh, that email. Oh my goodness! Every year for Black History Month, <laughs> OG would would make fried chicken, bro. It would be like the same. It might have been on Martin Luther King Day, man, or something. They make fried chicken. And it was just embarrassing. Y'all know the chicken wasn't no good. You it was bad. Just all bad. All bad. <laughs> Could have at least gotten some, you know, good black fried chicken at least. Man, wasn't no hot sauce. We had we had the Heinz hot sauce. Like, come on, man. Y'all tripping. The, the food during those alum days were amazing. But the food during, man, that was, man. They bogus. <laughs> hey, man, through, man. through this conversation, man, like, just what we've been talking about. We we had this conversation briefly a little bit. Do you guys think it's, it's worth the effort, the grind, the all that? to get integrated in these in these PWIs or should we be reshifting our focus to HBCUs and getting back reintegrated with HBCUs as a black people? Mm. Do you want to take that first, Jerry? I, I think it's a great thing to continue to work to build these universities, whether they be PWI or HBCU. I feel like people, POC, Black people are going to attend the schools that they feel welcomed at or the, the, where they think that they would feel welcomed at. And black students will always, you know, whether it be one or two black kids that choose to attend all of that, they should have a good experience. They should have one that is welcoming, that is inclusive, that is loving, that isn't tart, that they don't leave or get expelled or, or suspended with a bad heart or bad taste toward Christianity or towards that university. Mm-hmm. Good point. That's real. Good that point. is real. To the to the PWI question, um, and that's I think predominantly white institutions versus HBCUs. I think there's a conversation that needs to be had about equity and the way we're even educating our our young black kids, whether it's through the public school system, but then especially secondary education. Like if we don't have the infrastructure, the education or the educators, the, 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 the institutional backing with money government, like I think that 
it's kind of tough to ask the students to bail out these these universities um, by by lending them their like because you have kids who study their whole lives and they want to go to the best university with the best researchers and the best possible connections to win and oftentimes those are PWIs mm-hmm. because they've been invested in the longest so I think in order to make this a serious conversation we have to start thinking about reinvesting collectively back into HBCUs I do think. Um, athletics is one way that we can start because I don't think we have as much, I don't know whether it's um, affinity to the, to the predominantly white institutions in, in terms of being or having to use our athletic ability to further their pocketbooks. I think that if we start reinvesting in the brands of the Howards and the Spellman, whatever it is like, putting equity back into those brands through putting it on the national map, because that's what sports really does. You start to maybe shift that conversation a little bit. You have high profile athletes coming from these schools and then kids want to go there because they want to watch the games because they want to do that, this and the other. Because university isn't just about learning, even though it is. It also is about getting to know people, understanding who you are, learning, being away from home. And all these things contribute to where kids choose to go to school. And so I think to make HBCUs an attractive destination, we have to start thinking about how to invest in those brands and in those student bodies so that it's something that we could actually have as a viable option. Because right now, if you are, you know, really great in some way, shape or form, usually you can be offered more individually from a regular uh, historical college than you can from a historically black university, unfortunately. I mean, just imagine, imagine Zion Williamson and RJ, RJ Barrett at Howard, you know what I'm mm. saying? Like, like Jamal, yeah. Jamal Murray or Carl Anthony Towns or Spellman. like, come on, man. <laughs> like, right. these are things that will legit change, change vibrations, change especially change, change the money, change TV, change everything. Yep. Right? yep, change everything. That's why I think there's a lot of pressure on the kids now to, to think, at least, at, at least if nothing else, kids are thinking twice about it. So I think there was a story today of some top recruit from Kenya who's going to Howard. Yeah, he's a maker, star maker, Ken. Yeah. Okay, so he could have gone to, you know, your Kentuckys or your um, Dukes or whatever, and that usually is the path that a lot of these kids go just because it's the more tried-and-true method. But you're starting to see kids, whether it's they believe in themselves more, they want to contribute to the cause and understand what their role is or whatever it is, I think that trickle effect of just, like, having a few kids start to do it and then it'll open up the gates to where it can be more normalized to where you have, you know, it's a 50, 50 shot. And then maybe one day in the future, you have a majority of kids that are going to these schools that maybe are just more aligned with their interests long-term because that's what it gets down to. Word. Word. And, and to get back kind of to the, to the mindset of things, Jerry, you mentioned something that someone came to you and asked, you know, why didn't you make change while you were there? Why didn't you speak about this while you were there? What do you guys say to the the mindset that we have to adapt, especially as black men, the kind of, oh, well, the acceptance. We get so used to, you know, being done wrong that we kind of just ignore it. We're taught to turn the other mm-hmm. cheek. Like how many, I had a conversation with one of my buddies a couple of weeks ago. We've been pulled over each probably 10 to 15 times since we've been driving. And at this point, we just ignore it. But that's not normal, bro. Like, we, we shouldn't have to get used to that. 
Like, what do you guys, do you guys agree with that? That we, as black men, we kind of have to just forget about it. I mean, we're profiled so often that we can't even hold on to it long enough to speak on it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, you can go ahead, Sonny. Man, I'm just, I, I'm just thinking about how that, how real that is. And there's a psychological term for that too. It's coined by this um, researcher from Stanford called stereotype threat, which is kind of like the next level of just being stereotyped. You actually end up internalizing whatever bias somebody else holds about you because whether it's through insecurity or whether it's through like they, they tested it by priming teachers to prime these students by telling one group that they were smarter and one group that they weren't as smart. And obviously it, it was selective for uh, randomness and everything was even, but the, the group that was told they weren't as smart ended up performing not as well. And it's just kind of like this internal um, thing that we have that if we're continually told as black men and black women and people who are of color that we are less than in some way, shape or form, it begins to, to seep into our consciousness and that's very dangerous. Um, and so I think that we have to really think about that. Like, I don't know, how do we combat that? Because to me, in school systems and in that arena, it just kind of materializes as these kids are not as able or they're not as, you know, valuable on the, on the job market because they have these disciplinary issues or these grades issues or whatever it is. When in reality, it's just that the way that you guys are measuring performance and ability is extremely biased towards these other groups. Um, and that obviously reflects in all of society. I don't really know how we deal with that. That's a tough question because I don't think to just deal with it is the right answer. We got to fight against those systems. But at the same time, we have to understand that these things were put in place over long periods of time and it's going to take it's going to take some time to dismantle. And, and I want to touch upon that. I, I, I feel like we rarely have a platform to voice our voice. And then when we do have a platform in the little time that we do have, we're not taken seriously, like I said earlier. And like, you can even just look at the university itself and like attending a, a predominant white classrooms and you're like one of the few black people or people of color in the classroom and you speak up towards a racial issue that you, for the first time in a long time, talk about, and then the, the classroom doesn't take you seriously. You can see the eyes, and you can see the look, and the, the jagged looks, and, and the, the piercing eyes. They're kind of like laughing at each other, or that like, you can, I can tell that they're gonna talk about me afterwards. They're not taking Oh yeah, I get that. What they I get that <laughs> I think we do need to address it, address it head on, man. That's, that's what we're doing here today. That's why we're here today. And I don't think that that's something that's going to just go away overnight. I mean, the youth, the black youth is hungry, man. <laughs> we hungry yeah. and fed up. You know what I mean? Our ancestors came, you know, enslaved to the, to the captured, to the Jim Crow laws. These all are piled upon us, bro. And we're not, we're not just going to let things go. I think we're going to keep addressing issues head on. I think we're going to keep making people uncomfortable. And I think we're going to be unapologetic about it, man. And hell, it's exciting to me, personally. Yeah, man. I think I, I'm ready, to be honest. Like, it's like you have finally people's ears are perking up. And there's been a lot of things that have gone, whether unsaid or unheard, that are going to have to be addressed. And um, I think you're hitting the head on, right on the money. Like, we are fed up and the kids that are 
below us, like the generation below us, I think they're even more fed up because they, I don't know, we just need direction at this point. I think we just need to understand which way we're going. And that's why I think conversations like this are important to really, I don't know, get on the same page with what the problems are so we can start critically thinking of, all right, what are the solutions? Because the old normal is not working. And so we have to start to reform what the new normal is going to look like. No doubt, no doubt. And I think that it's very important if you are if you are listening to this podcast and you're non-POC, if you're a white individual or just not a, a person of color, and this makes you uncomfortable, use this as growth. Uncomfortability leads to growth. And, and, and just don't leave it at this podcast. Listen to another podcast. Listen to the other podcast by Clark. Listen to many different black voices because we all have variations we're not just one person we all have different opinions taking consideration of a lot of voices a lot of aligning or even contradictory voices we we just honestly just want to be heard another good point too is like yo white people we love you but at the same time you guys got to do better that's the end. That's the long and short of it. Like we, we have so much love for you. And we think that if you were to reciprocate that love, we would live in a better society. I think that's kind of the underlying sentiment behind everything that's bubbling up now. And um, if you are feeling uncomfortable, as Jerry said, use that discomfort. Like there's a quote that's something along the lines of the comfort zone is a beautiful place, but no, but nothing grows there. And, you know, you got to use it as almost like an indicator. If you feel triggered, if you feel a little fearful, use that as an indicator of maybe that's where I should go. Maybe that's what I should explore a little bit more and try to figure out what underpins that feeling of discomfort. And once you find out what it is, then it's on the open. Now you can deal with it. But if you keep on ignoring it, it's going to stay buried. And imagine just a conversation being uncomfortable. Imagine a life that's uncomfortable. A life that you live daily where race is an issue where every minute you have to consider your race, you have to consider your skin color and how someone will represent you, how someone will interact with you, how someone will treat you, how how they'll talk to you, how they'll even accept you in a job, how they'll accept you with your with a partner, how they'll expect, accept you on the street, how you're accepted by the police, how you're treated by everybody. Hiring. A conversation is nothing. Imagine a lot. <laughs> that's real, that's real. Man, but Jerry, Sonny, definitely appreciate you guys joining the Black Boys today. I think Thank you so much for having us on, man. This was beautiful. Oh, word, man. Hey, I'm going I'm to chop this up. Do y'all want to shout out y'all's Twitter handles or anything? Nah. <laughs> no. No. Nah. <laughs> we'll wrap it up, man. Uh, well, this is the Black Voice. Um, I hope you guys enjoying the conversation. Um, learn from this, man. Call in. Let us know what you think. Black Voice J or Anchor.fm slash Black Voice J. Check out We Are Human on Instagram. It's just We Are Human dot International. I just got a little blog going on over there. Some good stuff. For sure. Definitely, man. Check out Sonny. Check out Sonny as well. We Are Human, man. It's, we dropped some gems on He does interviews as well, man. Pushing the culture forward. So shout out to that, man. Right, well, this is the Black Voice. We're going to wrap it up. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to The Black Voice, where we motivate and promote change for black culture. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and rate on any platform that you're listening on to help us reach more people. Also, don't forget to participate. 
Visit anchor.fm slash blackvoicej, hit message, and be heard on future episodes. There's power in numbers, there's power in communication, and together we shall surely rise. This is the Black Voice with Jay Clark. Peace. Yes, I do.